Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus we are set free. Thank you. Thank you, gracious God, for your word which declares us, declares us again and again. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we have May we have that voice that cries that we are free, that we are free in Christ. So fill us with your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been here even but a short time, you know that we take our time on certain words or topics or phrases and we kind of really go deep into them. And we go into these words that are often used in the church that become like jargon that people kind of assume they know, but they don't really know, but we just say them all the time. And so this year alone, we've gone into phrases like, well, what is ministry? And what is the importance of the resurrection? The importance of, the dis- of ascension, Jesus ascending. What is discipleship? Who is Jesus? Last week was, who is God? And then we've also gone into, well, what does it mean to be blessed by God? What does grace and mercy really mean? And for each of these questions, right, we've asked, what does this mean? And we search out Scripture, God's Word, to find out what each of these mean. And it's a very fruitful search because when we dive deep into God's Word, we grow in the love, the knowledge of Christ Jesus. We start to mature as followers of Christ Jesus. So today, we're going to start a series that will last, I think it's going to be seven weeks, Life in the Spirit. So... (laughs) But that's a phrase, right? That's one of those churchy phrases. Life in the Spirit. Or you might say, are you alive in the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? So if I came and asked you this morning, are you alive in the Spirit? Do you have life? Are you being led by the Spirit? I bet, I bet for the most people, it would be like deer in the headlight. Or you'd be like the puppy dog, you know? Is this a trick question? Because people are like, well, what does that mean? You know, and, and, and here's a question. I mean, how would, how would you answer that now? I'm not looking for answers, but just think about that. How would you answer that now? Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you in the past two, maybe two and a half years, This congregation as a whole, as a whole, has become much more alive in the Spirit. It really has. And one of the ways it manifests itself is that uh, people who visit and who come here and stay here, they say, man, this place is so warm and so friendly. I mean, you get that quite a bit. I, I hear that from people who've joined the church. It's so warm and friendly. But I have to tell you that warmth and friendliness is an outcome of life in the Spirit. It is not the essence 
of life in the Spirit. It's not the core of life in the Spirit. You see, I've met a lot of people in various churches who are warm and friendly and dead in the Spirit. And any pastor worth their salt will tell you the same thing. That in any congregation, there are people who are alive and there are also people who are dead. And that's a sobering thought, isn't it? The other thing I want to really point out and and clarify is that being alive in the Spirit does not mean that you become an extrovert. Okay? Which is good news for all the introverts here. It does not mean you become an extrovert. You see, there are many introverts and extroverts who are alive in the Spirit in different ways. Look, you could have monks, nuns, who are cloistered away, who take vows of silence, and can be very much alive in the Spirit. You can also have charismatic, Pentecostals, you know, people raising their hands, right? All of that, who are alive in the Spirit. But you can also have monks and nuns who are cloistered away, vows of silence, who are also dead in the Spirit. And you can have charismatics and Pentecostals who are waving their hands and looks like they're alive, but they're not. They're also dead in the Spirit. You see, being alive in the Spirit is something that we are called to. It's not an option. It's essential to who we are. It's essential to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Life in the Spirit is essential to all believers. It is essential to all who say they are followers of Jesus. And it is essential to the life of a congregation. This is one of the strong points that many people don't realize about the AFLC, that we truly emphasize a living congregation. Not a congregation that goes through the motions, but who are alive in Christ Jesus, who are alive in the Spirit. It's an important topic. And so this week and the next two weeks, so for three weeks, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8. So Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is, is like one of the shining jewels of the New Testament. It has 16 chapters. The 8th chapter right in the middle is considered like the sparkle of that jewel. So we're going to actually focus on the sparkle of that jewel. And the emphasis there is on the Holy Spirit. In chapters 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit is mentioned just a couple of times. But in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. It's all about the Holy Spirit. One person put it this way. It is through the Holy Spirit that all the blessings of salvation come to us. So we're going to spend some time this week and the next two weeks. This week is freedom. Next week is adoption. And the third week is hope. So we are going to start with freedom. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Therefore, uh, sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Death. This chapter, this section opens up with an awe-inspiring, a glorious declaration. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This statement is one of the most important truths in the Christian faith. In fact, we have a banner that you all walk by in right up front that you probably miss, which is very similar to this statement. It is from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Same thing. There is therefore now no condemnation. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. How can Paul make such an astounding statement, an essential truth, an important truth, of the Christian faith. Well, you have to understand that in verses one, uh, chapters 1 through 7, he has been laying out in a very logical, systematic, thorough way about the truth of who we are without Christ. That we are sinners through and through. And he pounds this away. Just read chapter 3. And that we are condemned by that sin and we all deserve death and damnation. And that we cannot, as hard as we try, we cannot keep the law, God's law, and save ourselves. That we all fall short. Now, I know you've heard various words like this, and it's easy just to have this be an intellectual exercise, but for Paul and for all of us who really understand the depth and and delve into this, it's very personal, and it's heart-wrenching. Paul writes this, he writes this in Romans 7, 7 through 10, yet if it had not been for the law, God's law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produce in me all sorts of covetousness. I I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive. And I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to to be death to me. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Paul knew in a very, very personal way that as hard as he would try to keep the commandments, he failed each and every time. You know, I never really want to touch wet paint unless I see a sign that says, don't touch wet paint. Right? I don't want to covet until I see a sign that says, don't covet. Or God's law. And so it actually brings up that sinful nature. And Paul is just being 
crushed by this. That as hard as he tries, he can't. And you have to know this is very personal to a lot of people. There are a lot of people who say they are Christians and are trying their best to follow the law, to follow God's commandments so that they will be saved. And it crushes them. It is a weight that they carry around. And they're always wondering, am I good enough? Have I done enough good things? And they're afraid of being condemned up to the very last breath that they have. My father's was one such person. He dealt with doubt and fear. And it was crushing for him. Truly crushing. Paul himself says this. And he, he, it's, this it's a cry, really. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the cry. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer he comes to is this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the resounding answer, that Jesus Christ is the answer to go from condemnation and the weight of it all to freedom. The cry of Jesus Christ, our Lord, is a cry of freedom. A freedom of trying to be perfect under the law, of being crushed, which is, we can't do it, it's impossible. So it is a declaration greater than any declaration we have on the 4th of July. It's not even in the same category. It is a declaration from condemnation of death and damnation to life, to freedom, to life everlasting, all in Christ Jesus. That is the cry, that is the freedom that we have. And how is this possible? It is this. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Okay, now that's a weird phrase, isn't it? The spirit of life. Did you know that you actually confess that every time we do the Nicene Creed? Yeah, we're gonna actually do it next week, first Sunday of every month we do the Nicene Creed. And we confess this, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. We confess that each time we do the Nicene Creed. And indeed, He is the giver of life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, at the moment of all creation, the Holy Spirit was there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the earth with was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So he is there and gives physical life. But does the Holy Spirit give only physical life? No. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life as well. Our reading from Ezekiel Ezekiel really points this out. Ezekiel, you remember the valley of dry bones? 
the state of Israel was they were spiritually dead. God told Ezekiel that these bones would rise. He would speak to them. The breath, the Spirit of God was to be with them. You, even if you don't know the story, you know the song, Them Bones, Them Bones, Them Bones Gonna Walk Around. Come on! Them Bones, Them Bones Gonna Walk Around. Them Bones, Them Bones Gonna Walk Around. Hear the word of the Lord. Right? You are like, is he really going to do all that? Okay. But it's the word of the Lord. It is the Spirit speaking, bringing life, spiritual life, into those who are spiritually dead. So, the Valley of Dry Bones is Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 36, from our reading today, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. To bring you from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And we know that it is spiritually dead in Christ to spiritually alive in Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is saving faith in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit has caused you to know who Christ is. And so you go from spiritual death to life in Jesus. And you know that through the gospel message. Christ Jesus and His gospel. Remember from our reading in John... It says that the Holy Spirit won't speak His own words. He will speak the words that were given to Him by the Father and the Son. So you have the Trinity working all together. He's not going to speak apart from Christ, apart from the Father. He will speak the truth. And the truth is who? Jesus Christ. So He speaks and lets you know the Gospel. But how can that be? How can we actually have that life? That's the question. So we go on with our reading from Romans, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what does this mean? Well, you see, God's law is holy, righteous, it is perfect. And our fleshly bodies can't attain that. So God did what we could not. And He sent His only Son, He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It does not say in sinful flesh, but the likeness of sinful flesh. This distinction is very important. One commentator uh, put it like this. This means that His humanity was like ours and that He could be tempted and lived his life as part of the fallen world and exposed to vast pressures, but 
he did not sin. And there was no moral or spiritual corruption in him. And because Jesus did not sin, he was able to offer the perfect sacrifice for God's righteousness. You see, this is it. God is perfectly righteous. And he demands perfect atonement for our sin. Jesus is perfectly righteous and thus gave a perfect atonement. You see, most people, they want to waffle on God's righteousness. They want to make him not quite as righteous. But he is perfectly righteous. There's not one dot, not one iota of God that is not righteous. And he will not waffle on his righteousness. And he demands a perfect atonement for our sin. And Christ Jesus was the only one who ever and will ever have offered a perfect atonement for our sin. This is the standard of who God is and who, of, who Jesus is. And here, here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes you who are dead, brings you to life, and says, open your eyes, open your heart, open your mind, look, behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, Jesus Christ, He is your Savior. This is the work of the Holy Spirit who brings you to life in Christ Jesus. See, to be alive in the Spirit is to be pointed towards and centered on Jesus Christ and His gospel. Your entire being is focused on Him and His gospel. That is the primary way of being alive in Christ Jesus. If that is missing, you are not alive in the Spirit. See, there are people, there are churches that I've been to, that I've preached at, Jesus and the gospel is really missing. It's not alive in their congregation. And thus I've gone to churches that truly seem spiritually dead. And that's really sobering. But the same is true for individuals. The same is true for marriages and families. If Christ Jesus is not the, and his gospel is not the center of your life, of your marriage, your family, spiritually dead. And this is sobering. But we, you and I, you and I are to be in the Spirit, to be in Christ Jesus, and have our minds set on Him 
not on the world. So let's continue on with what it means to have our mind set on the Spirit. I'm going to read actually verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, as I read through this, there should be one word that kind of really pops out for you. It's repeated again and again. Mind. Mind. Why is mind used? Well, in short order, God made us with a body, our emotions, and our mind, right? And we do have a mind, and we are called to use it. (laughs) Your parents said this, right? God gave you a brain. Use it. Right? No? Maybe? Okay. But God gave us a mind. And he wants us to use it. As a matter of fact, if you read from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He's reasoning. He's basically saying, hey, slow down. Let's talk this through. Let's think this through. I mean, we do that as we raise our children, right? We said, let's think this through. Let's reason together. You see, we do have a heart and emotions, right? And we are to, we're to love God with just our heart? No. Just our mind? No. Just our strength? No. The whole kit and caboodle. There's an old term. My mom would be happy. We're to love God with everything, including our mind. Including our mind. You see, our faith that we have isn't a mindless faith. It is a mindful faith. It is a mindful faith. But the question is, with what are you filling your mind? With what are you filling your mind? Because you know this, what you fill your mind with shapes who you are, how you act, what you do. This is not hard to understand. Talk to anybody who's a news junkie, who listens to all the news programs, and if you talk to them today, well, what do you find on the news? You find hate, you find rancor, you find opposite. I mean, it's, that's what they're filling their minds with. And these people then, the first thing that comes out of their mouth, hi, how are you? Or, Did you hear the news today? It's like, oh, back off. But that's what shapes them because they're filling. So I tell people, look, take a break from the news, right? Take a break from social media. If your blood pressure is going up, you're filling your mind with the wrong stuff here. So, and by the way, it's not that I ignore the news. 
but I don't let it feed me. And the thing is, you're going to have one of two options here, and there's only two. You are either going to set your mind on the flesh, that is, the world, or you are going to set your mind on God, the Spirit, or another way to say it, you will be without Christ or with Christ. You either have the mind of the world without Christ or you have the mind of the Spirit with Christ. This makes it really easy because according to God's standards, there are only two mindsets. There's only two mindsets, with Christ or without Christ. That's it. Two mindsets. You don't have to take a personality indicator. You don't have to do Myers-Briggs or DISC or, or any of that to find out, well, how does your... No, look, for God and his standard, two. One without, one with. And that's how it works. Now, what Paul has to write, what God has to say about a mindset without God without the Spirit, without Christ, is very sobering. Verse 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You are not only hostile, if your mind is set on the world without Christ, you are not only hostile to God, You cannot please him. Let that sink in for a moment. You know of Mahatma Gandhi, right? Who did all of this wonderful work of setting people free from under oppression. He rejected God. He rejected Jesus Christ. God was not, is not pleased with Gandhi. Now, that's pretty sobering, isn't it? In Hebrews it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Now I know what I said isn't nice, according to the world, isn't fun, makes people uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. I went, am I really going to say that during a sermon? Yeah, I have some of the same reactions. You see, I want to to reduce God's righteousness. I want to somehow reduce God's holiness. Make it a little bit more palatable. That's what I want to do. But I want you to understand this. If it were possible to please God without faith, then God would not have needed to send Jesus. If it were possible to please God without faith, God would not have needed to send Jesus. So you either have your mind set on the world or on the Spirit. You can't be double-minded. You can't do both. One commentator put it this this way. 
to allow the things of the world to com- to allow the things of the world completely to dominate life is self-extinction. It is spiritual suicide. On the other hand, the spirit-controlled mind leads to life and peace. The same contrast is actually found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will he reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You can't be double-minded. One or the other. Now, God does say, for those who follow in the Spirit, there is peace, there's love, there's joy. We actually covered that when we do Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, we're spending three weeks on that. But uh, So here's the question that, might, that rattled around in my mind. Does that mean that minds are always set on the Spirit? Right? Is my mind always set on the Spirit? And The answer is no. And I'm going to guess for you it might be no. Next time you have a little road rage, just notice. So, our basic disposition is to be set on the Spirit. And the Spirit leading us and guiding us into greater what they call sanctification, holiness, or made more in the image of Christ Jesus. Okay? So how do you know, how do you know if your mind is set on the Spirit? Well, sin becomes more and more distasteful to you. You know, growing up, there were certain foods that you might have liked as a kid, but now you kind of go, I would never eat those again. What was I thinking? Right? You want more solid foods, more nourishing foods. It's the same thing as you grow as a follower of Christ Jesus. There are things that you did in your life. Look, people say, I have no regrets in my life. Oh, if you are in Christ, you look back on your life and kind of go, my teens and early 20s were nothing to be proud of. No true confessions here. We won't do that. Okay. But, but you understand this, right? So how do, we, how do we then renew ourselves to keep following the Spirit? Well, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to, th- to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so we are to have that one mind, right? We're in Christ Jesus. We have the mind set on the Spirit. And when you do that, you actually have peace and assurance. So let's go to our text here. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through 
His Spirit who dwells in you. Okay. Paul writes in a very dense manner. Very thick, hard to pull apart. Even Peter wrote about this. He said, Paul's writings are really good even though they might be a little hard to understand. I think this section of text can be a little bit hard to understand. So I'm going to simplify it as much as I can. In the negative, it would say, if you do not have Christ, you are neither a Christian or alive in the Spirit. Pretty straightforward. In the positive, to have life in the Spirit is to be alive in Christ. And to be alive in Christ is to have assurance. And how do we have assurance? Because, look, if the Holy Spirit who brought Jesus from the dead and can bring the dead to life, the Holy Spirit certainly has power to bring you from death to life. Because of what God has done, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. He can certainly raise you from spiritual death to life. And life everlasting. And He would dwell in you, leading you on throughout your life. And that should be a cause for assurance, and that should be cause for peace. And it can bring your dead body to immortal life. You see, to be alive in the Spirit is to know that death is not the final answer. We covered this in uh, our series, We Believe, from 1 Corinthians. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You have assurance in Christ Jesus that death is not the final answer. And you do not have to worry You can say, in Christ Jesus, I am free. This is the declaration of freedom. So this week, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to meditate, not the Middle East, not that. Meditate, to use your mind to think about this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How is that freedom? Are you double-minded? If so, pray, Holy Spirit, set my mind and heart on Christ. And this week, read Romans chapter 8, once a day, every day. To God be the glory. Amen.